We'll start reading in verse 5 of Matthew 16. It says, And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And we'll stop there. This passage, I see two basic things that I want to look at this morning. The one, the first, is people forgetting what God has done. And the second is that a majority opinion doesn't make it right. And we're going to look at those two aspects and sort of how that applies in this passage. We see they just finished this interaction with the Pharisees and in verse 4, Jesus made his, gave his answer and says he did, departed. It's like he just, here you go, here's your answer and he turns around and walks away. He doesn't stay for the argument. And then his disciples follow him, of course. And obviously they got into a boat and crossed the Sea of Galilee. And they get to the other side and they realize that we forgot to pack a lunch. <laughs> and then Jesus says this to them. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus knows their thoughts and gives a statement like this, knowing, and of course Jesus knows, right? But does he do it on purpose, knowing that they're going to interpret this, that he's talking about the bread that they forgot to bring? Or is this just a, he just wants to direct their thoughts, or redirect their thoughts to spiritual things as they're sitting there worried about worldly things. I think that's probably his purpose, is just to redirect those thoughts. And so we see these guys are fretting about not having brought food, and Jesus starts talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. Verse 7 says, They reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we've got no bread. And when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye brought no bread. Do you not understand? 
And this is that first point. Is, have we forgotten what God has done? And he points back, and literally, just in the previous chapter, we have the feeding of the 5,000. And just a couple of chapters earlier was the feeding of the 4,000. These are recent events in their lives. And they're fretting about food. <laughs> They've seen what Jesus can do with very little in feeding great multitudes. And they're still sitting here worried about the little bit of food that they have. They should have learned this lesson already. How many times in our lives has God done something in our life, got us through some trial, and the next time a similar situation comes up, we're right back worrying about the exact same things that God's brought us through over and over again. It's exactly where these disciples are at this moment. I want to turn back to Numbers chapter 13 to see this isn't unique to the disciples in having these doubts. This is common. We know it's common for us. But it was certainly common for the nation of Israel, God's people, God's chosen people, right through history and in Numbers chapter 13, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I, gave unto the, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And then it, the next number of verses names each of the men from each tribe. And so if you followed where exactly we're at, God just brought these, the whole nation of Israel, probably a million, maybe two million strong, out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. And we know the stories of all the miracles that God did along that route. They've just left the mountain where God gave the Ten Commandments. So we've had these ten plagues while they're in Egypt. We have the parting of the Red Sea. We have God's fed them with manna. He's given them water out of a rock. He's appeared to them in the mountain. And he's brought them right to the entrance of the promised land where he said he was going to give them an inheritance. And they're standing there at, not a gate, but right at the point where they're about to cross into that land. And he stops them and says, I want you to send a man from each tribe into this land and just explore and bring back a report of what you find. And this is where we pick up. And I'm going to continue reading just after the names here. So I'm going to pick up in verse 17 and carry on here. And it says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. It said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. 
and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and they came to Hebron, where the high men, Shishai and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoanath in Egypt. And they came under the brook of Eskel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought other pomegranates and the figs. Can you imagine a cluster of grapes that takes two men to carry? <laughs> like a cluster of grapes. There's a land that produces. We planted acres of potatoes this year, and we didn't get to... Jason started the harvest already. Some people wanted some potatoes, and he says, there's nothing there. <laughs> there's, you get a few little potatoes out of each plant, and, and it's a pathetic harvest. This is, this is complete opposite of what's going on in Israel. Verse 24 says, The place was called the Brook Eskel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. Interesting that it's 40 days, isn't it? And they went and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came into this land whither thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched among the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will give us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? And I'm going to stop there. But we see these guys, they went in and searched the land, and they found a land of plenty and abundance a land that could support their people perfectly. But they were fearful to go in against the people. Can you imagine all that God has brought them through, and yet 10 out of 12 that went and looked at the land said, we can't do it. Our God isn't big enough to overcome these people, is really what they're saying. Do we have that problem in our lives? Thinking that our God isn't big enough to overcome our little problems? And we see the second point that I said I saw in, with the disciples. was that the majority doesn't make him right. We have Jesus with these 12. Jesus is teaching and preaching. Yet we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the priests, and all these people constantly standing against them. Which, when we... We see crowds follow Jesus, but look at the end. Look what the result was at the end. Where are those thousands of people that flocked to, to hear him speak when he was being condemned to be crucified? The crowds are cheering to have him sent to be crucified. The majority followed the Pharisees follow the wrong leading, follow the false teaching, and forsook the truth. We get to back here with Moses, 10 out of 12 didn't believe, and the majority, the whole, like, there's no speaking of anybody besides Joshua, Caleb, Moses, and Aaron are the only four that are mentioned that actually believe that they could do this. 
out of we're not given the actual numbers, but we can infer that there's at least a million people there. Probably a couple million. We have four people that are willing to trust God and believe that he is able to do what he said he's going to do. Are our churches willing, are we as Christians willing to trust what God said and believe that what God said is right? Looking around our world, and we know all the things that are being taught. You go to schools, and our children are being taught. We don't send our kids to school. <laughs> Because we don't want our kids to be taught some of the things that are being taught there. Things that the Bible says we shouldn't even speak of because of they're so evil. And yet they're being taught as being normal. Teaching small children that they can decide if they're a boy or a girl. Right? How is that... Right, and yet we're spoken evil of if we speak against those things. There's so many things the Bible speaks of that our society has turned completely against. And the churches are going along with it. to say <laughs> we just see the society is leading the church and it's going in the wrong direction sure. who are the few that will look at what God said and trust God and follow what he's commanded us to do follow a life that he's directed us to live to preach a gospel some of us were talking the other day of this gospel that gets preached where there's absolutely no sin involved, no condemnation. Well, where's the need of the Savior if there's no condemnation for sin? There's no repentance of sin in the gospel that is often preached. We need blood in our preaching. We need hell in our preaching. We need to let people know what God said is going to take place. If we look at history, um, we can see countless times where the majority of people believed a certain thing. And just a, a simple one would be the earth is flat. Right? There was a time when you were thought to be crazy if you said anything other than the earth is flat. And now we're going backward, back to that apparently. But <laughs> any flat earthers here? <laughs> 
No one's going to admit it. <laughs> it's good. But uh, people believed it. And yet there was those who were convinced that it was not. And, you know, I, I don't know, apparently history changes over the generations, because when I was in school, we were taught that Christopher Columbus was this guy that believed the world was round, and he set out to prove it by sailing west, right? <laughs> and he was going to continue sailing that direction. And he thought he would end up on the other side of the land that they were already on in India. But he found this chunk of land here that we're on in between. But he set out to prove that this world isn't flat. I'm not going to fall off the edge of this world if I continue sailing that direction. The majority was wrong. And interestingly, if they had read their Bible, they could have known many of the things that we know today. Isaiah 40, verse 22, speaks of the circle of the earth. It's a ball. It was a circle. And Isaiah wrote about it. Job 26, verse 7, says that he, God hangeth the earth on nothing. There's not some guy, Atlas, sitting under there holding it up. I don't know what Atlas is standing on. <laughs> but there's, there is no foundation holding the earth in place under this flat block, right? It is a ball, and it's hanged on nothing. It's just suspended in space. And it's God that did that. There's these just basic truths that we take for granted, but were once considered foolishness. Mark Twain said, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to reform or pause and reflect. Leo Tolstoy said, wrong does not cease to be wrong because the majority share in it. That is an absolute truth. If the Bible says that it's wrong, if God declares that something's wrong, it remains wrong no matter how widely accepted that thing becomes. We've got a world that's taken the rainbow and turned it into a symbol of this thing that God declares as being sin. And it's, it's placed on people's front lawns with a sentence that says, pride lives here. <laughs> What a declaration of your sin. <laughs> what a declaration of your own condemnation. Taking pride in the things that God condemns. What a world we live in. We're reading in Numbers this account of Israel standing at the entrance their promised land, where God promised that they would inherit this land, that they would conquer all the people in that land. And they're sitting there in fear, and they want to go back into slavery, into the bondage of Egypt, rather than face what God has 
promise to give them because they see a, a pro- something that they don't think they can overcome. There's a lot of things that took place between that moment and when they actually entered that land. They searched for 40 days. God banished them out of that land for the next 40 years until every man who was of 20 years old and upward had died, except for Joshua and Caleb, the two that believed God, the two that stood against the majority. Joshua leads the people of Israel into that land. And in the end of, toward the end of the book of Joshua, he knows the hearts of these people and their tendency to not trust, to not strive to continue serving God. And in chapter 24, verse 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord, this is Joshua speaking, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. Can you imagine they brought their idols out of Egypt? Look at what God has brought them through. All the things that God has done to bring them out of that, and he's still, they're in the land at this point. And Joshua still has to tell them to put that stuff away. Do we have to stand here and preach to our church to put away our idols? We've, we've come into the church and to hear the preaching of God's word. And we don't have a tendency to have a wooden sculpture or a little metal thing that we bow and pray to, but we certainly have idols, things that we put ahead of God. We need to put those away. We need to serve the living and true God. Put those idols away. In verse 15 it says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We can take that same verse and apply it. Look at, look at our world, look at the churches today. If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, the world is calling Christians evil because we stand against this rainbow flag that says pride lives here. If we stand against things that God says is sin, that our world believes is right, it's going to seem evil to some to serve the Lord. We're supposed to trust this, trust God, rather than the world. So choose you this day. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the world? Are you going to follow the teachings of the schools and the adulterers, the fornicators, the idolaters. 
or are we going to follow the Lord? Choose you this day whom you will serve. I'm going to end there. Lord, your word is full of examples of you delivering people, getting them through every challenge that is before them, every impossible obstacle, Lord, and yet every time your people face something, it seems we sit in doubt, thinking that it would be better somewhere else instead of where you're directing us to go, Lord. Help us to be bold and willing to serve you and willing to trust you if we follow where you have us to go, Lord. So we just pray for your strength. We ask this in Christ's name.